You're listening to the J. John Podcast. Joining J. John this week is Alonzo Julian Paul, an apologist with the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics. Now this week, Alonzo shares about his journey of life and faith from drug addiction to his decision to follow Jesus. Today, Alonzo is passionate about engaging with people's questions about God, the Bible, life and the church. Subscribe to the J. John Podcast today to catch up with previous episodes. And as ever, if you want to find out more about the Christian faith, visit jjohn.com or follow J. John on social media. You're listening to J. John in conversation with Alonzo Julian Paul. Alonzo, welcome to the programme. Thank you for having me. Delighted to have you, Alonzo. Where do you originate from? Oh, yeah. So just in case my accent doesn't sound like it's indigenous to these parts, uh, it's from Canada. So I'm, I'm from Calgary, actually. My wife and I were both born and raised there. We spent time on the West Coast uh, near Vancouver and Toronto. So, And what about your parents? Okay. So um, my mom, she's been there for several generations, her side of the family. They're Hungarian. But my dad, he's from Guyana. Uh, he came over as a refugee, um, gosh, back in the 70s. So... Yeah, that's that's my background. Uh, my my wife, she's half Tanzanian and half Punjabi. So we joke like our kids are going to be the UN incarnate. Absolutely, <laughs> it sounds like that. It really does. Now, growing up, did you have any religious faith, Christian faith? Nominally, so I grew up in a nominally Catholic home, to the extent that we went to church on Christmas and Easter, and it was just in case there's a big guy up there. Um, maybe Judgment Day will go over it just a little bit better because we put in a little bit of time. So it was more like fire insurance than anything else. Uh, but it, it, it was devoid of any serious understanding of who the person of Christ was, his death and what that meant, and his resurrection and what that meant. So, yeah, it was just like a Sunday thing. A Sunday thing. Yeah. And then uh, your parents separated and that had made a deep impact upon you. Yeah, it was devastating. So I, I should say that my parents and I, Jesus has transformed our family. So even though it has a dark beginning, uh, which I'll share in a second, it has a beautiful, redemptive, wholesome ending. So at the beginning, it was hard. And our my parents, they got divorced and my sister and I took it very, very hard. And I was 12 years old. And what do you do when you're 12 years old and you're, you feel like your family, your world is falling apart? You're going to try and find some sort of coping mechanism in order to regain some sort of equilibrium. And so for me, I unfortunately just came across a really bad group of friends. Um, so I started drinking, smoking, and started doing drugs. I started smoking weed. And, and that just was a gateway to a party lifestyle, a prodigal lifestyle. And eventually, I became a full-blown opiates addict. I don't know if you know what opiates are, but Percocets, yeah. Oxycontin, morphine, that sort of thing. So I was in a really, really dark place. So you were taking the lot, really, and you're, you spiraled. Oh, very quickly. And so I, I spiraled, and I spiraled even further, actually. So when I was about 20, uh, maybe 21, uh, a group of guys and I opened up a hip-hop clothing store. So these guys had opened it up, and I came along. I'm interested in business, so I want to help them, and I'm also a drug addict. 
And these guys are drug dealers. So it was a hip hop clothing store that was a front for selling crack cocaine. And so these, these were tough guys. These weren't your Bible study crew. No. You know what I mean? And, and so, these are people beyond the fringe. <laughs> yeah, man. And, and I, I, was, I was so enslaved by addiction that I remember I'd have my morning coffee and I would be uh, crushing up a rail and, sm uh, and snorting a rail off the cash register in the morning. So I was in, I was in some serious bondage, uh, unbeknownst to me. And everything changed when a particular event happened. Yes. So this, in retrospect, this was a grace from God. Um, I was at a reggae night. So again, I'm Caribbean, Guyanese. And so a friend of mine and I, we went out to the reggae club and we were doing opiates and cocaine and smoking weed and all of those sorts of things. And we got back to his house, maybe 4 p.m., uh, sorry, 4 a.m. And when we got there, I fell asleep on the couch, but he had what they call a drug-induced schizophrenic episode. So he heard voices say to him, you need to chop off Alonzo's head. And so as I'm sleeping, he proceeded to try. He took an, uh, a blade of some sort and didn't get a good look. I wasn't going to stay around for a yes. long time to get a good look at it. But he, he got me, and this is by the grace of God. He hit me right in the back on this bone back here. So I was about an inch away, J. John, yes. from bleeding out on the, on the sofa, on the spot. So I woke up, obviously, after I got hit, pushed him off of me and got out of the house and got myself to a, to a hospital. Uh, he hit me so hard that I bled internally in my brain for three days. And the three days provided three days of sober reflection of, mate, you're probably not going down a good path in yes. life. And that, I think this, this was the beginning of God, by his sheer grace and mercy, beginning to redirect the ship of my life into a more positive direction. Yeah, that, that experience almost, you came to your senses. Yes. And just kind of woke up. Yes, exactly. And at the same time, your sister had become a Christian and started yeah. going to church. Yeah, she got out of a nasty relationship, really abusive. And it was the church that welcomed her in and just supported her and loved her. And my mom was great. She was there too and, and supporting her. But we all seen this ontological transformation, this deep transformation. The, the only way that I could articulate it back then was, she looks happy. And isn't that what we're all after, you know? But she looks different. And if I could get some of that, maybe I'd be all right. So she invites me to church. And I go there, and this was for the very first time I hear Jesus of Nazareth properly explained and felt like, gosh, I had been lied to my entire life. No one told me that this is who Jesus is. Jesus who welcomed and gathered and was a magnet for people that were just as broken as me. And I... I had this this other Guyanese guy used to pick me up from my house. I'd smoke my joint. He'd be, you know, hey, I'm outside. He'd pick me up and just faithfully brought me to church uh, for months and then would drive me home. And I remember during that time just sobbing, J. John. Tough guy on the outside, tattooed up, 
drugs, bad people, sobbing like a baby hearing about Jesus. And after a few months of that, I, the pastor said, who, who wants to commit to following Jesus Christ? And I said, I, I want that desperately. I want forgiveness from sin. No one needed to water that down or convince me that it's something else. I knew it. And then I wanted God's love. I wanted that same love that I seen him extend to the woman at the well or the woman caught in adultery or um, the tax collectors or Zacchaeus or any of those. And that he got me, yeah, they, it changed and my life. You experienced that. So you experience forgiveness. You Deeply. experience cleansing. Deeply. Healing. Deeply. What happened about the drug addiction? So the drug addiction from the opiates, that went away immediately. I don't know. I can't explain it. It was just a miraculous divine intervention. Uh, sometimes we see that in the Gospels where people get this intervention from, from Jesus. It's a, a foretaste of things to come, the kingdom to come. Uh, and, and Jesus did that for me. So no no kind of desire, no thirst nothing, for it. it. Nothing. The addiction went. Now, I was still smoking weed. And so there was a little bit there that I needed to learn how to walk and follow Jesus Christ. And that meant learning what it meant to, to sacrifice and, and have self-control and, and to do life in a community that held me accountable and how to be transparent. And it was, it was a grace that he, that he didn't wipe away everything, but there were some that I needed to build my muscles in my walk with Christ and learn how to depend on him and trust him. And he proved himself so faithful during that time. And it was about a year or so, and then I, I was done. And then got that out yeah. of your system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Yes. And it transformed your life. Yeah. Set you free from the past. Yes. And entered this new future. Yeah. And who would have guessed what I was going to, what he was going to call me to do? Absolutely. What he calls all of us to do, in fact. And it was, for, for me, it was reaching young people. So we're all called by the master, the creator and redeemer, to fulfill the great commission. To, to go out into the world and, and make disciples. For me, and my little particular spot in God's will, was youth. And I was I'm telling you the truth, uh, J. John, I was so terrified the very first year, uh, maybe even a year and a half that I did youth ministry. I did not speak to a single young person. I stayed on the side, I made sure to like clean up and stuff, but I was terrified. I thought these Christians, like they're, they're so amazing, they're so up here and I'm so down here. And eventually through community, um, they were able to combat some of this really negative thinking that I was having. And, and then one day, one youth leader introduced me to one young person. And I was, wow, I really love doing this. I, I can make an impact here. And then eventually, it was my wife, actually, Khadija, whom I love with all my heart. She's amazing. Uh, she was the one that gave me my very first speaking opportunity to speak to a group of young people. And there are times in your journey with Jesus, you just know that you know that you know this is, this is the right path, and that yeah. was the right path for me. It's like, yeah, the Lord put it in your heart, and that was your uh, passion and compassion. Yes. You, you studied theology at Oxford. Yes. Uh, you went back to Canada. You yes. did another um, further study. I, I didn't know that that intellectual side of Christianity existed. So that's what, like, there's just the intense curiosity coming from the drug world and, and just coming from a very superficial 
um, experience with Christianity. And then once I started to explore the scriptures and I had a great pastor um, that helped encourage that curiosity, I found out things like apologetics and theology and philosophy and biblical studies and all of these sorts of things. And that curiosity drove me to places like Oxford and, and, uh, and the University of Toronto for my master's. Now, you, Alonso, you're an apologist. Yes. What is an apologist? So um, an apologist is somebody who attempts to provide a rational defense for the, for the reason, for the hope that we have uh, in Christ. So it comes right out of 1 Peter 3.15. And we are commended to do this with gentleness and respect. This is across the board for everyone. Um, the Bible doesn't put the expectation that everybody needs to read a gajillion books and have a million degrees. But everyone should be so well acquainted with the scriptures and their Lord that they can provide a reason for why their hope is in Jesus Christ and to do that with gentleness and respect. I, for, you know, his reason, have just been called to do that, you know, full-time instead of just uh, part-time or just part of my daily rhythm. So that's an apologist. Um, we were talking just before our conversation in this interview, Alonso, and you were telling me how you overheard on a bus two girls having a conversation. Yes. Just, could you tell us that story? It just, it shook me. It still shakes me, to be honest with you, J. John. At AUCA, where I work, the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics, my role there is to, to do youth ministry. And I'm constantly trying to put my finger on the pulse of Gen Z, Gen Alpha now is coming up. They're 13 this year. And I had this experience coming home from the gym on the bus. I, I have my gym clothes on, so I just, I'm a background character. I'm not an apologist, you know. And I get to hear their conversation. They're about 15 years old. And this was the totality. In a 20-minute ride, this is what they talk about. Uh, sex, boys chasing them romantically, substance abuse, pregnancy scare. These are 15-year-olds. Uh, crippling anxiety and depression. Failed suicide attempt. Telling off their family and making money. And it's interesting that one of the girls said that she just landed her dream job. And the dream job was this, to be able to, she says, I, I got a job. I'm able to scroll on my phone all day long without being told off by my employer. So that was, that was what she was aspiring to. And it, it rattled me, uh, J. John. I, they're, they're, Jesus has so much for uh, young girls and young boys exactly like them. And I know there are hundreds of thousands of young people out there with identical uh, struggles and, and, and others, obviously, but identical struggles. And, and so we are hungry. We are eager. We are passionate and zealous to reach young people with the gospel. But um, in a 20-minute bus journey, that, that conversation about so many things... Uh, the truth is that we're all broken mm. and we're in a broken world with broken people yeah. and only the broken body of Jesus mm. can heal people. Yes. And so the, the task of the church, of all of us apologists, evangelists, is how do we yeah. uh, 
convey and communicate that. Yes. And one of the things that you're involved in is called Reboot. Yes. Tell us about Reboot. Now we're cooking. I, well, I, <laughs> I've had the privilege of speaking at Reboot yes. a couple of times. And yeah. I loved it. Yes. But tell us what it is. So Reboot has this heart of creating a safe space for young people to bring their most difficult and most pressing questions about life, church, and God. That's the, our slogan is free to question, reboot free to question. So reboot is multifaceted. So we, we do digital events. So recently we had uh, Professor John Lennox uh, come and speak on who am I? We spoke about Andrew Tate's philosophy, uh, a voice that is very influential amongst Gen Zers. And we got to engage with their questions. We had nearly 400 questions come in in that one digital event uh, within minutes. It was, it, it's unreal how many questions these young people have. And it's awesome because we get to present the gospel as the, as the worldview that has superior resources to respond to their questions as opposed to, say, post-Christian uh, Western secularism. So it's a great opportunity. Next, we do reboot events. So we do local, where we get to collaborate with the pastors on the ground level. We ask them, hey, what are your kids' um, top questions? Because, well, your youth might be different than, say, youth over here, or youth up there, or youth down here. So we tailor make a, an event for them. We give these two TED-style talks, and then we just do Q&R. So we call it Q&R, question and response, and we will have, we'll just let them ask whatever they want. And then lastly, we do Reboot City. This is an event we're doing, and they get to have a full day of thinking about these enormous questions. And it's questions that we've done a lot of research to, find, to figure out, like, what are your young people asking? And so we've tailored the whole day around that, and there's prizes and games and DJ and prizes, and it's just a great day. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, what would you say, Alonso, are the frequent regular top 10 questions. What would some of those questions be? Which are the ones that keep coming up now in today's society and culture? I think if in, instead of thinking in the top 10 questions, because there'd be so many variations of, of similar questions, a better way uh, that I've, uh, I've adopted is from the late New York pastor and author, uh, Tim Keller. Yes. He gets a lot of his stuff from oh. a Canadian, Tim, uh, uh, Charles Taylor, he, he outlines six areas to be thinking about. Identity, uh, meaning, morality, justice, satisfaction, and hopefulness. This covers what Gen Z and Gen Alpha is thinking about. And the, the, the duty of every Christian is to say, okay, what is secularism how is secularism responding to those questions? How is the gospel responding to those questions? And how can we show to these young people that are asking these questions how the gospel has superior resources to respond to them than, say, secularism does? And that's a lot of the work that we, that we do. Those questions are, are very good. Can you just repeat them? Identity. Identity. So what do we mean by that? So identity generally will mean uh, a sense of self, a sense of worth. So is, therefore, is, a lot of people don't have self-worth. Yeah, or they struggle with it, 
these... lot of despair, a lot of anxiety, a lot of imposter syndrome, a lot of comparison, especially with social media, TikTok, Snapchat, etc. Um, so identity is a huge one. It's huge also with respect to sexuality and gender yes. and that whole discussion that's happening there. And we we engage with those questions. We come with a traditional Christian sexual ethic, and we the thing that separates, I think, reboot from maybe maybe some others. I'm, I'm sure others do this as well. Is that we will try our very best to expose young people to the to the landscape of what's on offer. So let's say it's sexuality. We will try to unpack. Okay, what are the major views? Let's say within Christianity on that particular topic, side A, side B, side X, side Y. And then we will try to say, okay, well, and this is why we, this is why we fall under this camp. But we want to encourage you to think more. We want to empower you to think about this for yourself and to do this in, in community alongside with your pastor and peers to, to think deeply about this and come to a conclusion. What's the second word? Uh, meaning. Meaning. Yeah. And... What do we mean about that? Well, here's, a, here's an easy example. There are things in our life that are competing for your meaning in life. It can be achievement. It can be financial success. It can be relationships, um, even, even sometimes good things like family and stuff. But those, those particular uh, candidates that are competing for your meaning in life, that which is conferring meaning on my life, are not sufficient. They're not strong enough. They don't, their shoulders can't bear the weight of what you require. And so I think that if naturalism, so that's the belief that there is no God and everything that exists is just physical and cause and effect and so on. If naturalism only has these candidates for your meaning in life, then you have some serious, serious problems. Um, what happens if you put your meaning in your family and and God forbid something happens, or your career, and God forbid something happens, or or sport, and something happens, you roll an ankle or something like that. There are, are far superior resources in the Christian worldview that if you let it sink into you and to be that, that grounding for your meaning in life can endure all of those highs and lows of life in a way that secularism just doesn't have on yes. offer. Third word? Uh, morality. And what do we mean? Morality, and it's going to be close to justice as well, which is the, the next one. It seems to me that this generation, and this is something that my colleague Claire Williams always points out. Yes. This generation is excellent at identifying with enviable dexterity things that are going wrong in our world. Whether it's historical atrocities of the church, whether it's present day social injustices, they have an excellent moral compass. The problem is, however, how do we adjudicate something as good or something as yes. bad? Yes. Now, here's, here's the problem, and it's the same thing with injustice, you know. Okay, I, I'll grant you that you, you can say that this thing is bad, but explain to me exactly why that thing is bad. It seems to me that given naturalism, why can't that just be what it is? And if your worldview, like naturalism, is having to smuggle in things that are outside of its purview, like morality, from, let's say, a Judeo-Christian worldview, then I think that there's something fundamentally flawed about that worldview that you're holding. Now, some will say, well, yeah, I'm just okay with the contradiction. At which point, 
Claire and I will generally say like, okay, well, we're just going to let you sit, sit on that. As long as you acknowledge that there's no um, objective reason why you can make these sorts of moral judgments, hey, then, then that's, that's up to you, man. But if, but if you see that your worldview is consistently borrowing from other worldviews, then I, that gives you cause for deep consideration and critical thinking that your worldview might be bankrupt. Fascinating words, Alonso. <laughs> How many remaining words are there? Uh, satisfaction and hopefulness. Right, so go on. So satisfaction, I'm thinking of Mick Jagger. <laughs> I can't get no satisfaction. Go on. I'm thinking of Andrew Tate. Yes. You know, he's so popular right now. He, he's been so dangerous with a lot of his rhetoric uh, towards women and girls and, and so on. And I think we should all be thinking, you know, not just passively ingesting content from online. We need to be critically thinking about these sorts of things. But the the narrative that come out from figure in, influencers like him is, you know, um, a certain level of achievement, a certain level of success, a certain level of relationships, a certain level of whatever, that's where you're going to get your satisfaction in. And so expend your whole life to get these sorts of things because the, the, the satisfaction is promised over here. And the reality is for so many of us, we've achieved things like getting a, a, an education or, or getting a family or marrying the love of your life and, and so on. And they're, they're deeply satisfying, but they don't get down to no. the core of you. And I know satisfaction, you know, as a drug addict, you're just chasing satisfaction. Yeah. Whereas where, where Jesus, you know, he says to the woman at the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, he says, give me a drink. And what I think that Jesus is saying when he's having this dialogue with her is you're doing, you're using something to satisfy your thirst. And it's not, you need to keep coming back. Give it to me. And I, and he's not just doing it to be a jerk. Jesus is a really nice guy. Um, He's saying, give this to me so I can give you living water, so I can give you actual satisfaction that only increases, only amplifies as it sinks down deeper and as you get closer and closer to him. And it's the same thing or a similar thing with hopefulness. You know, secularism, uh, post-Christian Western secularism, doesn't have a hope. If it does, then it's going to be human progress. And sorry if I'm just a bit skeptical of human progress and its promise of utopia, Real hope in the Christian worldview doesn't come from this, you know, this possible, maybe utopia vision of human progress. It's grounded in history. It's grounded in, in the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. It's as sure as the temple, as, as the tomb is empty. Absolutely. And that's something that you can dig your, you know, your heels in. You can plant yourself in. Tim Keller has this great quote. He says, you know, the more that truths like that from the gospel sink into your heart, the more of an unsinkable person you become. Yeah. I'm, I'm reminded of that um, line from a, an old classic hymn, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all yeah. other ground is sinking sand. Yeah. And it is so true, you know, without, without Christ, uh, we have a hopeless end, but with Christ, we have an endless hope. Mm. And it, it, that's the Preach message me. of the good news, isn't it? Yes. Uh, Alonso, if anyone wants to know more about uh, Oka Reboot, what's the best way to find out more? Uh, Theoka.org is for the Oka website. You can go to rebootquestions.org. 
Alonso, it's great work that you're doing. Keep on doing it. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Jejon. How wonderful uh, to have that conversation with Alonso. And uh, I was struck by some of those words that Alonso unpacked. I hope you found this conversation illuminating and inspiring. Thank you for joining us. Please join us again. I do hope you've been inspired by today's conversation and encouraged maybe to look deeper into some of the reasons for the faith that we as Christians have. And if you're looking for a book that answers some of life's more difficult questions, then why not get a copy of J. John's book, Will I Be Fat in Heaven? and other curious questions. In this book, J. John answers 38 questions that many people ask about God, the Bible, the world, and everything in between. You may also be interested in J. John's children's book, That's a Good Question, which is a collection of 32 tricky questions which children commonly ask. J. John answers these in a clear way that's suitable for the younger reader. And of course, the answers to these important questions are complemented by a set of fantastic illustrations. Both books are available at jjohn.com. If you've enjoyed this episode of the J. John podcast, press subscribe to be notified about future episodes. You've been listening to J. John in conversation with Alonzo Julian Paul.